Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, so I made a list of all the transgressions as we head into big time, big game week of Jim Harbaugh. You won't believe all the nonsense this cloud was in. I'm pissed. My guy Matt Canada has been fired by Tomlin with the Steelers. Black voters running away from Joe Biden. Who can blame him? They should have ran away a long time ago. Oh, don't at me starts right now. I'm on one today, people. Get there. All right, first things first, I don't care if you're Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, and frickin' Bill Belichick wrapped up into one. If you don't have a quarterback, you can't compete in the NFL. And Matt Canada, friend of the show, has become the fall guy for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin, who was supposed to be this loyal, tough guy, went absolutely chicken blank and fired his offensive coordinator. Look, Kenny Pickett can't throw from me to you on a dime and complete anything, and it was Matt Canada's fault. I got two words for you, my backside. I don't buy it, I don't believe it, I'm hot. Matt Canada's a really good dude. Matt Canada's a stand-up guy. Matt Canada knows the business, so you're not going to hear him complain. But the dude getting fired just shows you how chicken-blank guys like Mike Tomlin truly are underneath the tough veneer with the beard and the little cross. He wasn't tough as a player. He's not tough as a coach. He's chicken-blank. He's in job-saving mode because for the first time, long time, going to have a losing season or possibly I don't even know but if you really look at it Canada was like 18 and 6 as an offensive coordinator last time I looked that was three wins for every one loss that's 75% and that ain't bad let's get to Jim Harbaugh and all the nonsense as we head towards the big game you know a lot of people just think Jim Harbaugh was unjustly accused well he gave cheeseburgers now it was a lot more than that well he didn't give information. He didn't really lie. Nah, it was a lot more than that. I got to tell you, Jim Harbaugh, when you really break it down, came into college football from being in the NFL and decided, you know what, I'm going to cheat. Uh, some of it's going to be gray area, which I can kind of respect, but the majority of it's going to be, you know what, I'm just going to basically cheat. Let's go this route. He cheated when he did something blatantly illegal, which is have a signing with the Stars. You're not allowed to bring former players when kids have signed and do this big song and dance. And he did that. I guess it's a genius move, but he still couldn't beat Urban Meyer. That was in his first signing class there. Then he had all these satellite camps. He had all these satellite camps, spring practice at IMG, the number one football school, spring trips overseas. It pushed the rules. Maybe it was brilliant. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Remember Jim Harbaugh was feuding with SEC coaches. I said, what the hell are you doing? And the NCAA had to step in and say, yeah, this is stupid. I mean, this is just stupid. What are we doing? We're not going to do this. So away that went. And this doing this in his first five years at Ohio State, he still could not beat Urban Meyer. Uh, he hired a high school coach from Paramus Catholic. Now listen to this. This is the, my favorite Jim Harbaugh. The coach from Paramus Catholic was named Chris Partridge. 
Now, I found out that Chris Partridge, the coach that Jim Harbaugh hired, was prostituting himself to numerous college coaches. When I put this out there yesterday, it was after talking to about six different college head coaches slash assistant coaches about this guy Partridge. A friend of mine in the college coaching world, current coach, reached out to me and said, look, I went to Paramus Catholic. Everybody in New Jersey was pissed because this guy was buying players, including Rashawn Gary and Jabril Peppers, two pretty good players. And then when coaches, head coaches, would go into Paramus Catholic, this guy Partridge was prostituting himself. Hey, man, I'm ready. Now I'm ready to be a college assistant. I'm ready. And I'll bring players with me. All you got to do is hire me, and I'll make sure I own these players, blah, 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 blah. The only guy that took the bait was Harbaugh. Harbaugh signed two players out of it. He signed this guy, Jabril Peppers, really directly, and the other guy, Rashawn Gary, was a year later. And you know where I'm going with this? Still couldn't beat Urban Meyer. However, it even gets better. Now, Dirtbag, what do I tell you all the time? Dirtbag always going to what? Dirtbag. So this guy, Chris Partridge, gets to Michigan. And he's like the ops guy, and all right, he's working, he's working. He actually leaves for a year, goes work for Lane Kiffin, comes back. Michigan liked him that much. Maybe they felt sad. They didn't have the dirtbag in their program. But guess who the dirtbag was that decided it was a good idea to tell players to lie in the investigation on the sign-stealing scandal? Guess who it was? Guess which coach it was? Excuse me, I misread my notes. That it was... That destroyed evidence. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the one and only Chris, not Keith, Partridge. So he gets fired. Guess who his best friend was? Co- Co- Connor Co- Stallion. You can't make this stuff up. What do I always tell you? It's always the same dirt bags. It is always. It goes back to Steve Howe with the L.A. Dodgers. You can look it up. Having like seven drug suspensions. It's always the same guy. So dirtbag guy as a high school coach, you hire him. He's still going to be dirtbag guy. He's going to be all right for a few years. He's going to be fine for a few years. So this Biff Pogey guy is the head coach at Charlotte. Biff Pogey is a self-made millionaire. Got a lot of respect for Biff Pogey and the fact that he's a self-made millionaire. Anybody that can do that is okay in my book. Harbaugh hires him, gets into coaching. Harbaugh hires him. This guy funds... Not only does he fund overseas trips, but word on the street is he might be funding players. I don't know if this is true or not, but that's the word I get. They hire him to get players. This guy is funding out of his own pocket trips. It's a very ideal. Maybe it's ahead of the time. Maybe it's just simply ahead of the time. I don't know. Maybe it is. Now, let's go through other stuff. Cheated during the COVID dead period. Now, this is the stuff he got suspended for. Too many coaches on the field, which you don't think is a big deal. But if Fox were smart, if I could get to Eric Shanks and Brad Zager and say, will you stop with all of the guys across with, uh, with Brady Quinn and, and Ingram and frickin' Matt Leinart and just put Rob Stone with Urban so he can explain to people why this is a big deal in the world of college coaching? But you won't do that. Everybody's got to have their opinion. And Mark Ingram just talks and talks and talks and talks. But I don't care about Mark Ingram's opinion on this. A coach telling the world why this is a big deal would be awesome TV. So anyway, so old Harbsey, he decides that he's going to go out and he is going to lie and cheat. 
All right. He cheated during COVID. He illegally videotaped workouts of his own. You're not allowed to do that. When it's when it is your off season, you're not allowed to tape practices and evaluate them. It's a big deal. Page two, Harbaugh cheat sheet numero dos. Uh, slip over recruits houses. Now I got to tell you, if I'm a mom or dad, I'm like, yo, pal, you got to get out of here. Billy, uh, no, 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 uh, Bobby Cremens did that kinda. He fell asleep on the couch at uh, the number one center in the country, Jason Collier's house, on his couch. He fell asleep. On, he wasn't intentionally sleeping over, but he fell asleep. You know what I'm saying? And the kid ended up going to Indiana. Again, Harbaugh, with all this nonsense, couldn't do what? Beat Urban Meyer. He lied to the NCAA, which resulted in his three-game suspension. Michigan fans are going to say, well, he just wasn't forthcoming. No, he lied which is why Michigan had to give him a three-game suspension. He hit a gun charge against a kid named Maisie Smith, hit it, and he allowed Maisie Smith, who was a stud lineman, to play. How do you hide a gun charge? Like, how, do you, how is that okay? That alone could get you fired, at least in my world. Look, we got a kid with a felony gun charge. We're not going to let anybody know. We're going to keep it out of the papers, and then we're going to let him play because, well, I still can't beat Urban Meyer. All of this stuff, but he still can't beat Meyer. He had a staff member arrested for soliciting a 13-year-old buying vodka in Michigan gear. He hired Shemi Schembechler, a known racist. I don't know if he was known. I don't even know if he's racist, but he, he liked and tweeted some racist stuff. They fired him. He's got this sign-stealing scandal. Now, listen to this. People think it's no big deal. Well, it's big enough that two staff members have been fired. It's big enough that three have been, he's been suspended for three games. Like, I don't know the last time... I saw a scandal that meant nothing that two high-priced staff members got fired over and the boss got suspended three games and you're telling me it's nothing? All right, if you say it's nothing, then it's nothing. I don't know. Maybe. He's 1-6 in, in bowl games, 2-5 against Ohio State, 0-5 oh against Urban Meyer. He still couldn't beat Urban Meyer with all this stuff. And we all know the reports are out there that he reportedly – misled Michigan while interviewing for jobs in the NFL. Actually interviewed for one on signing day. Michigan fans were like, man, everybody knew about it. No, they didn't. They knew about it after the fact. So don't at me with that crap. It's the name of the show. Michigan fans, you're embarrassing yourself every time you defend this guy. I get it, winning matters. I understand. But don't be that school then. Don't be the school that tells us about Michigan men. Don't be the school that acts high and mighty. Don't be the school that acts arrogantly and above everything. You're no better than a Memphis. You're no better than a Tulsa. And even those programs don't cheat. You're no better than name a program. Just name a program. Any one of these things would have got you fired under any school that has a reputation for actually acting for actually caring about integrity. Michigan talks about it. Oh, God, they talk about it. You're a Michigan man. Go to that campus sometimes. You'll see some of the ugliest people in the world. Little black-haired guys running around all, all scrappy. Hey, we're scrappy today. They're coming in from Chicago, from the East Coast. It's off. Horrible. Hadn't been a, I asked Randy Whitman on my recruiting trip, hey, man, who's got the hottest cheerleaders? He said, oh, I got to tell you. The, the Illini girls, and he was right, the Boiler Babes. Who's got the ugliest? Michigan. Ugh. 
I think, I think Bill has said it on a broadcast. The whole thing about Michigan is a fraud and is ugly. Although my son had a good experience there because he got in with Mo Wagner, Duncan Robinson, and a bunch of other really good dudes. Look, when Beeline was there, they had some dignity. When Lloyd Carr was there, they had some dignity. Now the place has gone from dignity to a head coach slapping another coach and then backing up like a coward. And, of course, this mess that Harbaugh has. I'll give Harbaugh another violation. He's a plagiarist, although he's not, because he actually admitted that this line that we're going to play for you that he said was actually taken from Ted Lasso. Here's Harbaugh talking about his mother in a bathing suit. Locker rooms, a lot like my mom's bathing suits. I see him in one piece. <laughs> well, he prefaced it by saying, well, it's from a Ted Lasso. And he's right, it was. But it's a good line. And I'll give Harbaugh credit. See, I got Catholic guilt. When you're such a cheat and your laundry list is that long, you become a sociopath. It's like I was watching this thing about how to become a mob boss. It was really good on Netflix. I watched all five of them, and it goes through these different mob bosses. And it somewhat glorifies the mob boss. But you know deep down they're all sociopaths. They're all liars. They're all killers. They're all thieves. Uh, Harbaugh doesn't go the route of killer, I don't think. But he's just a sociopath. I don't think he did anything wrong. Hey, I'm trying to win here. I think his old man who backed out of being in the MAC after one horrific season and went back to Western Kentucky where he had a budget nobody else did and became a, quote, legend. I think his dad said it best. We're just finding different ways to win. Yeah, that's a good definition of cheat. I see Harbaugh, I see no different than Jerry Tarkanian. I see no different than any cheat that you've ever heard of in college sports. And in college football, it absolutely pays to cheat. I'll tell you something else about college football, and this is interesting to me. You know what? You can't separate Heather Dinich and Paul Feinbaum at birth. They literally look like each other. And Feinbaum and Dinich both give me big-time gas. They just do. Well, anyway, Feinbaum is on my television all the time. And Feinbaum is taking shots. Now, you got to understand, this pencil neck has never played. He's never coached. He's really never done anything but write and talk. He hasn't been in the arena. So now, Feinbaum is all over, and I mean all over, Lincoln Riley. Well, Lincoln Riley is, I don't know, he's got an 80% winning percentage as a head coach. Now, you could say he was at Oklahoma and he was at USC. When you took the USC job... Do you think it was actually the greatest job? And if it was, then why was it open? So Lincoln Riley has come in there, and he hasn't been great. And I'm not going to say he's been great. But for a pencil neck like Feinbaum, who I actually like, I've been on his show. Uh, he was one of the guys at ESPN that, you know what, I kind of liked. He kind of liked me. But I'm getting a little tired of all of these guys calling coaches frauds. I'm getting all these guys tired of guys that never, ever, ever we're in the arena. They're outside the arena. Stephen A. Smith, never in the arena. Averaged one point a game and quit the team at North Carolina something. Winston-Salem under a legend. Coach Gaines, I think it was. I don't get it. I honestly don't. We listen to guys like Feinbaum, and I guess we should. He's entertaining in his way. I like him. But Lincoln Riley is 73-18. and 18. Lincoln Riley has an 80.2% winning percentage. Now, I'm not saying that they had a good year. In fact, they were awful. And he is certainly part of the blame. Notice I said part of the blame. I didn't say the whole blame because at some point, don't you have to sort of, kind of, blame the players? 
Like, Lincoln Riley didn't forget how to coach. Lincoln Riley didn't forget how to lead. But when you got a quarterback like Caleb Williams, who was more interested, and we saw it last night with Travis Kelsey, in ancillary stuff, not driven stuff. And you could see it. Now, maybe you can't. And maybe you're going to tell me, Doc, that you're being unfair. Well, I'm not. I've studied this stuff. I don't care what you say. Hey, it's a miracle that I ended up 500 in the MAC, given that I lost my two best players seven of my 10 years. It's a miracle that I had an over 500 record overall, given that I had to play four bye games a year and lost my two, three best players five of my 10 years. You're looking at a, a coaching savant here. And the fact of the matter is, I can tell when players are disconnected from one another like it's my job and it used to be. Not one of those players at USC, and this has been confirmed to me, not one of those players gained respect this year for Caleb Williams. Not all of them lost respect, but none of them, not one, went, man, that dude's a dude. Even freshmen were tired of Caleb Williams this year. And the guys that had been with him last year into this year were so tired of him, and you could see it. Caleb Williams became an entitled baby. Caleb Williams did not become a leader. Caleb Williams did not become the guy that everybody wanted to rally around. He became an entitled D-bag among his teammates. Now, nobody will ever admit this. Everybody will say, that's my dog, yo. That's my man, yo. Uh, I'll ride or die with him, yo. Why? Well, because Caleb Williams is probably going to be the first player picked in the NFL draft. And as the first player picked in the NFL draft, Caleb Williams can set a little policy. He can say, look, Joey Bagadonis was on my USC team. I'm telling you, he's pretty damn good. He can also destroy you. You know what? Joey Bagadonis really didn't buy into anything we did, Caleb Williams could tell an NFL GM or an NFL head coach or scout. And that could ruin a kid's career. So everybody's going to kiss the backside of Caleb Williams. But we live in an era of NIL. And let me take that first. We live in an era where guys are doing commercials, where guys are all over the place, where guys see themselves and a couple things happen. One, the smart ones understand that this isn't real. My job, my focus, my success is on the football field. That leads to other stuff, which it did last year for Caleb Williams. The other way is to think that that stuff matters. Look at me. I'm this. I'm going to separate myself because, well, I'm a star now. You'd be surprised how many people get that mentality. You just saw it with Clarissa Thompson, the idiot sideline reporter turned host who decided it was okay to say that she lied and made stuff up, and then she lied about lying. You get too big for your britches. It's an old cliche, but it is a cliche for a reason, because it's true. Long story short, Caleb Williams became untenable inside the USC locker room. So you can pin that on Lincoln Riley if you would like, Paul Feinbaum. I get it. You don't know what you don't know. You think you know, because Susie from Alabama called in, because D-Bag Willie who burnt down the trees at Toomer's Corner, admitted it on your show, and you're something. But the fact of the matter is, somebody other than me needs to be smart enough to say, yo, these players, led by Caleb Williams, underachieved, underperformed. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, that's on the coach. I didn't say it wasn't. I didn't say it, but it's not all on the coach. It ain't even half on the coach. You think all of a sudden Lincoln Riley didn't know how to develop a quarterback in an offense? Okay, 
If you think that, then God bless you. So let's hear from the great Paul Feinbaum. Feinbaum says, I don't know if I've seen a worse coaching job by anyone than Lincoln Riley this year. Well, I know Paul Feinbaum is a white dude, but you got to say the job Herm Edwards did was pretty freaking bad for about four or five years at Arizona State, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. They're still awful. See, when Urban Meyer goes somewhere like Utah, they win after. The only place they hadn't was Florida. You Bowling Green did, then Greg Brandon left. Now it's struggling. But Florida did not because Florida, I don't know. It's a complete disaster. He's not wrong. And quite frankly, he ought to pack it up. Really? Really? So let's let's talk about that part. So he ought to pack it up. He's making $10 million after everything to coach football in USC. And he ought to just give that up. He ought to just give that up. I really don't see what his plan is, path is moving forward. Well, of course you don't. You're not there. You're not there. People think, well, we lost a stud quarterback. You don't think another stud quarterback's coming to USC? You don't think so? I would argue this. In fact, I'll bet you money. I need, I need uh, the sack attack and T-fine to see if they want to take this action. I'll make you a bet. I'll bet you next year's USC record is better than this year's USC record with Caleb Williams. I'll make you that bet. Last bet we made on this show, my guy Sackman took me up on it. I took the over-under three and a half years before Sue Bird and Rapino break up and Sue Bird no longer a lesbian. I took the under. He took the over. I'll owe him 100 bucks. I don't see what the pass is. Blamed everything on Alex Grinch. No, he didn't. He fired the guy. Let me see that same energy with Mike Tomlin. Of course there's not going to be that same energy with Mike Tomlin. And maybe Mike Tomlin hasn't deserved not to have that same energy. I don't know. But Mike Tomlin, if you're just joining us, fired Matt Canada. The fact of the matter is this. He didn't blame everything on anybody. But that defense was atrocious. So he did what he thought he needed to do. I'm just giving you a coaching 101 here. He did what he thought he needed to do, and he got rid of him. Could be worse. Lincoln, you ought to look in the mirror. You don't think he is? You don't think he is? Maybe you're just a total fraud as a coach. Well, Feinbaum, at least he's in there swinging. At least he's in there having a swing. You're sitting there like I'm sitting here. We're just talking. Maybe you just lived off a couple Heisman winners. How'd they get to be Heisman winners? I mean, he had nothing to do with that. What? people in Oklahoma did for you. Well, all the people in Oklahoma who were heartbroken two years ago when you, who never thought that they'd get over that blow off. They're over it now. Lincoln Riley is nowhere near the coach that we all collectively tried to make him out to be. We'll see. He's 80%. Look, let's be honest. Maybe he made Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma hadn't been a great shake since. Maybe he was instrumental in making Oklahoma a national player when it was. I don't know. But I do know this. Paul Feinbaum, you never played. You never coached. You're going all in on a guy with an 80% win percentage, which gets you in every football Hall of Fame. I'll take Lincoln Riley. I'll give him a shot. But I don't understand why everybody's so afraid to blame the players. You're not Being called racist doesn't matter anymore. It simply doesn't. You get called racist for sleeping wrong, I saw the other day. It's actually in my notes. Yeah, uh, Some ladies are saying, well, sleep is racist. White people get more. Shut up. 
right, speaking of white and black, black voters are saying, "Uh uh-uh. Black voters are finally wising up to the great Charles Barkley, who said famously, black voters been voting for black candidates. I'm sorry, Democrats. I misread my notes here. Black voters been voting for Democrats for hundreds of years, and we're still poor. And he ain't wrong. Well, black voters have figured out something that they should have figured out a long time ago, and hopefully more will. Joe Biden is nothing more than an old man. Joe Biden is nothing more than a fraud. Joe Biden doesn't care about black voters. In fact, if you go back in Joe Biden's history, there's never been in the modern era. I don't know what guys were in the 1800s. I don't know. You guys know. I don't know. But what I do know is in the modern era, let's just take from 1980 on, there's never been a more racist president ever. The things he has said about black kids, the things he has said about the African American community have been appalling. But for whatever the reason, African-American folks have decided, eh, we ain't paying attention. Well, now they're paying attention. Joe Biden's support in these states, according to the Wall Street Journal, Wisconsin, Nevada, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, went from, I'm sorry, Donald Trump's support in Wisconsin, Nevada, Georgia, Michigan, and Arizona, and Pennsylvania went from 8% to 22%. What are you 78% other people doing? Like, what's on your brain here? How could 78% of you be paying attention even a little bit to the number one issue affecting African-American voters, at least according to African-American voters in the Wall Street Journal, and that is the economy? How can you possibly, possibly, 78% of you say, well, you know what? We're going to vote for Joe Biden again. Why? What? Why? Your gas prices are up. You guys shop at the same grocery that I do. Hell, the grocery store right here, 79th and Fall Creek, is about half black, half white. Or one-third black, one-third white, and one-third whatever else. I mean, honest to God, it's a melting pot. You're shopping for the same stuff. You see our supply chain sucks. You see the prices are through the roof. You can't buy a damn case of frickin' Diet A&W root beer damn near for under $10 when it used to be $4.99. Don't even get me started on eggs. And by the way, I'm all in on Carb Smart Briar's ice cream. It's basically doubled, at least in my store, in price. Are you insane, African-American voters? You should be out in droves drumming this guy out of office. You should be doing it every day. When NBA players tell you to vote, you're right, you're right. I'm voting for a Republican. Honest to God, it's unbelievable to me that it's only gone from 8 to 22%. And some of the comments are absolutely genius. He's an old man. He hasn't changed anything. Really? No kidding. I got two words for you. Duh. That's right. Those are my two words. I mean, look, I'm guessing I'm going to be called racist because I said the word black, not African-American. Hey, look, I don't call me Serbo-Polish-American. I'm simply a white dude and a hell of a white dude. But the truth of the matter is this. Joe Biden needs to be run out of office by black voters. Joe Biden needs to be run out of office by white voters. Joe Biden needs to be run out of office for nothing other than the economy. It's the economy, stupid. He's a weak old man. Black voters are saying, you think? And one thing that black voters can't handle or black people can't handle is weak old white guys. They'll handle weak or they'll handle strong old white guys. But honest to God, weak old white guys saying to you, hey, I was born in the black church. Wait a second. 
I was born in the Catholic faith. Wait a second. I was born Hispanic. What? I went to Puerto Rican mass. He's an old man. 68-year-old Mamadou Diallo said. He didn't change anything. Really? No kidding. Huh. Shocking. I really did think he was going to help people in my situation. It's like all of them talk a good game until they get elected. That's a 60-year. I don't think I'm going to vote, said this lady. No, you got to vote. Honest to God. I'm absolutely concerned, said one of Democrats. Frankly, I'm extremely concerned. It's a huge problem. So what does Biden say? What are they, this is why we need another four years to continue to finish the job. What's the job? Destroying our country? Let me tell you what the job is ultimately going to be, you black voters, you white voters. Ultimately, your kids are going to have to sign up for a war. You mark my words. You know where this is headed. I know where this is headed. We didn't have any of this crap under Trump. You don't like Trump. He's mean. Yeah, shut up. Blow it out your ass. We need a little mean. We need a little tough. That's where I'm shocked because I'm not talking about the little punk-ass kids uh, that go out, rob, rape, and steal, or the girls in Chicago that are twerking on a freaking uh, police cruiser. I'm talking about real African-American people, just like real white people, not the punks doing meth. I'm talking about the real people. They don't want this crap. You think black people in Indianapolis want the violence that's going on in Indianapolis? Hell no. And one thing black folks do understand is they understand toughness. Real black folks understand toughness. They ain't all about that Bolshevik. They're not. As a guy that coached college basketball and actually had a much better relationship with black parents than I did white parents for the most part, except in certain occasions, I got to tell you, this I know. I'm just shocked that 78% of black folks are still even thinking about voting for Joe Biden. I don't give a damn if Joe Biden was white, black, green, or purple. I ain't voting for that clown today. I ain't voting for that clown tomorrow. And I ain't voting for that clown the next day. Period. And if you do, God bless you. I'm not shilling for Donald Trump. Look, I wish there was a different candidate. I wish there was somebody that I could sink my teeth into that wasn't a pig that did the same thing. Maybe I'll vote for DeSantis, but I gotta hear more. Period. Boom. All right, let's talk about our friends with the New England Patriots. Raise your hand, ladies and gentlemen. I'll raise mine. If you're happy to see the Patriots struggle. Pick me, pick me. Ooh, 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 like Horseshack in Welcome Back, Cotter. That's a reference, Nick, Nick, uh, Dylan and Ryan have no idea what I just said right there. I guarantee you Aaron and Gary got, ooh, 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 ooh. How you doing? <laughs> Welcome back, Cotter. It was a good show. I always thought his wife was kind of hot in that Jan Smithers on WKRP in Cincinnati kind of way. You know what I'm saying? I kind of did. All right. Anyway, let's go to this. Uh, Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator, former Penn State, Houston Houston Oilers slash whatever the hell their name is, Texans coach. All right, so he is now charged with getting a couple quarterbacks ready. Here's what he had to say. For me, I basically get everyone ready to play. At the end of the day, Bill will make the decision at some point and we'll go there. Now, that's what he had to say. 
And he's right. You know, one of the easiest things to do as an offensive coordinator is not have to do what he said right here. I basically have to get everyone ready to play. What you would like to do is settle in and get Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes ready to play. And by the way, I didn't think Mahomes looked very good last night. And what is that Schuster, Scanling Schuster, whatever the hell his name is, what the hell is he doing dropping a pass? I mean, look, all right, I'm going to change directions right here. Let me tell you something. The idea, the idea that you're a freaking wide receiver and the ball, here, here's the ball, is right here in your hands. Where's my ball? Don't I have a ball back here? And you can't catch a pass? Let me ask you a very simple question. Dale's your job. Dale's your job. I mean, I'll sit back, relax, and listen. I'm just asking, what the hell is your job? All right, before we get to our first break, the New York football Jets are now going to bench Zach Wilson. The New Now, speaking of one quarterback, see how I segued it there? The New York football Jets are not only, not only benching ben, uh, Zach Wilson, but they've made him third-string quarterback. And I got to tell you, I'm all in on it. When I watched whatever that was out of the Jets, I thought to myself, I think this is the worst team I have seen offensively, or at least back up, the worst game that I've ever seen a team play offensively. They scored six points, and I'm not sure how they did it. I mean, when teams played against the 85 Bears, they couldn't get a first down, but that was a lot of teams. This was, in this game, the absolute worst. So, we're sitting here, and we got to ask the question, is he the biggest bust ever? He's second pick in the draft. So, Zach Wilson will be the third quarterback. Now, you can say Zach Wilson is young, and he is. But in college basketball, we live in an era where freshmen have to play. In the NFL, we live in an era where rookies, second-year men, are expected to play and expected to win. Is it fair? Of course it's not fair. Could he come back and have a good career? I think he could. At least that's what they're saying. But the fact of the matter is, Zach Wilson is off. There was one play that they showed the other day. He got sacked, and here he comes. Romo showed it. There's a guy to Zach Wilson's left, breaking wide open. He either didn't see him, couldn't make the throw, held on to the ball, didn't read it right. I don't know. But whatever it was, it wasn't good. We'll deal, it in, we'll deal with it in the offseason. That's what Robert Sala said. Well, he's kind of right about that. I mean, you really can't deal with it now. You got to move along, and you got to try to win a game. I'm not sure he's the biggest bust ever. I think it right now he probably is. Uh, Robert Sala said, I've got my thoughts. I've shared them with Joe. That's Sala on where the Jets could have gone differently during the pre-draft process, which led them to drafting Zach Wilson. Now, i got to tell you, one of the most, and those of you that listen to my radio show, I think you'll remember this. One of my most respected guests is my good friend Jason Benetti. And before I ever knew who Zach Wilson was and how hot his mother was until she started talking. But anyway, 
Uh, I didn't know Zach Wilson, and he was doing a game. He's like, Dan, I got to tell you, this kid should be the number one pick. He's the most impressive kid I've seen. I think he was right. You see him move. You see him run. You see, All right, but he's lost his nerve. He's been beaten down. I believe this. I don't believe that everybody that goes to New York and doesn't succeed, it, it, it's because of New York. I, I don't believe that. Others do. Others say, well, that guy, and they immediately go to, he failed in New York because New York was too big for him. I don't buy that. What I buy with Zach Wilson was getting beat up David Carr style. Like, you lose your confidence to throw the ball. Look, I've always said this. You can get hot in basketball. I was never a football quarterback. But you could get hot in basketball passing the ball. You can get hot defensively in basketball. Well, I got to assume it's the, it's the same thing in football. I remember one game. We were playing our neighbor, our, our, our neighbors. We had this big rivalry tackle football game. I was a sophomore in high school. And I got so hot catching the ball, I could have caught it behind my back. I think the opposite is true, too. I think you can get gunshot. I think you can get scared. I think you can get unsure at the very least. And I think that's exactly where Zach Wilson is. Zach Wilson didn't forget how to throw a football. He didn't forget how to read the pocket. Did. Just can't do it now. Level's different. You can say it's New York because when you aren't successful in New York, what happens? Ah, a little more coverage. Zach Wilson uh, apparently goes on a weekend with his girlfriend on a bye week and it's big news. I don't know if it's big news. I don't know if it contributed, but it didn't help. Same thing with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey's dropping passes. Travis Kelsey's fumbling. I don't know. Next thing you know, Travis Kelsey, Friday night at games, he's at World Series. Weekend's off. He's in Argentina with his girlfriend, Taylor Swift. Look, I don't know, but the coach in me says this. Cut your hair, wipe your ass, and get back to your craft. That's always my answer for good players. Cut your hair, meaning what? clean your, whatever you're doing, cut your hair is a metaphor. Wipe your ass is a metaphor. Just clean yourself up of all the crap outside here. Stay here. Stay where you matter. You matter in football, period. Your success is tied to football. Doesn't mean you can't have great business success. Doesn't mean you can't go stoop with Taylor Swift all across the globe. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, When you're struggling or you're trying to make it, cut out the ancillary things and focus on your craft. I got to tell you, Travis Kelsey, he dropping ball. They got the worst pair of hands in in the wide receiver court. This guy Watson catches some. They weren't very good yesterday. But anyway, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Zach Wilson needs to cut his hair, wipe his ass, and figure it out. All right, speaking of cutting your hair, he's got glorious hair. Chad Withrow is going to join us. The great Ted Ginn Jr., Ohio State fans, I have a fantastic Urban Meyer when he was in Florida coaching against Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn's story that almost knocked Urban Meyer for a loop. We'll be right back. Chad Withrow, hot mic next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. 
That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I mentioned I got a great Ted Ginn Jr. story that Urban Meyer told me after the national championship game when Urban was in Florida and beat the crap out of Ohio State. By the way, Urban joins us tomorrow to break down the big game at 940. Joining us now, the co-host of Hot Mike with Hutman Withrow, the great, ladies and gentlemen, Chad Withrow. Hey, got to ask you, if you had a vote, and you were going to vote for the college football playoff. Would any of Harbaugh's stuff, would any of Michigan's stuff influence your vote one way or the other right now, before this game on on, uh, Saturday? Well, it wouldn't only because uh, of the rules that that they're looking at, right? That they've been very clear that they can't look at any NCAA investigations or anything else. They just have to go by what they see uh, with the results on the field. So, no, it, it wouldn't influence me. I, I'll take it a step further, too. I, I hate this idea that because Florida State had their quarterback injured, Jordan Travis, that somehow the college football playoff committee should factor that into their decision. Now, if they go out and get beat by Florida and then lose in the ACC championship game, well, they've played their way out of the college football playoff. But if Florida State goes undefeated and they win the last two games of the backup quarterback, I don't think the college football playoff committee should factor in who's playing or who's not at all. I don't care if a team loses their entire defense in a conference championship game. If they're undefeated and all we're looking at is results through the season, you weigh the results of the season versus everyone else and decide whether or not they're worthy to be in. I'm really uncomfortable when committees start to get into trying to project as opposed as to trying to rate what's already happened. Show me what's happened on the field go through all of that and decide one through four and let's roll with that. I don't like when committees, whether it be NCAA tournament, uh, the basketball selection committee, or whether it be the college football playoff committee, when they start to get into projections because guys are injured, just show me what happened on the field, rate it that way. And let's go. I agree with you. I agree. Look, if they lose, okay, then maybe, I say, all right, uh, they're out. But you know one thing I always say about this, Chad, and I know we all got to talk. This is always fascinating because everybody plays everybody, it feels like. Like, I don't feel like anybody of the teams are going to sneak in. If Alabama gets in, they're going to have to beat Georgia, right? I mean, it, it's just the way I look at it. I, I, you know, you, uh, Washington, Oregon, El, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally uh, with you on that. But I am fascinated how it plays out. Let me ask you, uh, Staley, Reich, Rivera, do we got to add Eberflus on this hot seat along with those guys? Absolutely. I think he's on there. Um, You know, Belichick's going to be interesting. It seems more and more like maybe he's going to be allowed to stick around, but his whole thing with being the coach and GM, you know, I, I don't know how, Ultimately, that that's going to play in the in the future, or does he get a shot to break the record with someone else? Uh, Brandon Staley really showing uh, signs of the the facade cracking a bit. Dan, I don't even know what Brandon Staley sounded like until I heard that clip. He's one of the quietest NFL coaches, right? I, I've never heard a press conference with him. You don't hear a lot of sound bites or interviews with him, and then I hear him going off on reporters about how I'm not here to answer to the fans. I, I'm not here to respond to the fans. And our defense certainly wasn't the problem today, defending his job as as the play caller also on the defense. So 
Uh, that was interesting from Staley, and I think the first signs that he knows that he's under a lot of pressure and the heat's being turned up with, with the Chargers' performance. But I would definitely add Eberflus to, to that discussion. Going back quickly, too, on your Michigan question about how everybody plays everybody, Ohio State's got a great chance to do the Lord's work this week. For everyone that wants to see Michigan lose, th- this is a great opportunity for Ohio State. Ryan Day talked a big talk. He talked trash about Lou Holtz after winning a close game at Notre Dame. There's a lot of smoke around Ohio State being one of the ones that turned Michigan in, and that's likely true. Well, this is Ryan Day's opportunity to beat a Michigan team without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline and go ahead and start to eliminate them from the college football playoff talk. So great opportunity for Ohio State here, and I think it actually ups the pressure on Ryan Day because he's going head-to-head with a Michigan team without Jim Harbaugh and trying to avoid three straight losses to the Wolverines. Hey, you're going up against an interim head coach that had been suspended earlier in the season one game, Sharon Moore, for cheating. And you're Ryan Day. I'm paying you $10 million or whatever I'm paying you. Look, I understand. Oh, well, I don't understand losing three in a row. I certainly don't understand when that third one is against an interim coach with all the turmoil that Michigan has gone through. This is a – I don't know if it's do or die for Day. I honestly don't. But I know this. They're not going to keep another John, Jim Co- or John Cooper for a long time if you keep losing to Michigan, particularly against the interim coach, Chad. No, you're right about that. Now, that that's a fireable offense mm. at Ohio State if you keep losing to Michigan. We, we all know that. And will Sharon Moore cry in the postgame? If he cried after the Penn State win, uh, imagine him postgame if they knock off Ohio State in this game. The guy was weeping like Jim Harbaugh was, was ill and not just in the hotel a few miles away. That was a strange post-game press conference. So I am interested to see what that post-game interview is going to look like uh, with Sharon Moore if Michigan happens to win this game. I am too. I, I, I think it's just a fact. It's the only Michigan I, – I, I, when, I, you know, when I was texting with Urban the other night about him coming on the show, I said, you know, this is really the only Michigan-Ohio State game I actually really want to go to. Like, I know people have it on a bucket list. I – I was always either coaching or working on this weekend, so I didn't. But this one, I'm thinking about, hey, look, I told my wife, we got a house about 30 minutes from from uh, Ann Arbor. Let's go up there and let's go scalp tickets after, like, the first quarter because I think this would be a blast. You know what I mean? Uh, I think not only that, Dan, but just walking around before the game is going to be interesting. Yeah. You know, There's this call for Michigan fans to boycott college game day because they're all mad at ESPN about their coverage of Jim Harbaugh. And I'm thinking that's great for Ohio State because any Ohio State fan there at the game could just go to college game day and chant things about Michigan cheating and have signs all over the place about Michigan if you want. So Ohio State fans could take over uh, the Michigan college game day atmosphere, which would be hilarious to see. I, if, if you've got a place close by, Dan, I think you should do that. Head up to Ann Arbor, uh, walk around the stadium before the game and try to get into the building for that one. But uh Make sure to wear a helmet in case some Michigan fans try to throw something at you. Yeah, I've been a little vo- vo- uh, been a little vocal on Jim Harbaugh. I might have to wear some Kevlar and and maybe put the red away. I, I, as my wife says to me all the time, I'm sure there was a day when you were tough, but that day ain't now, big boy. She says <laughs> hey, it to when, me all the time. You know, when does it uh, when does it become enough? Uh, enough is enough for Michigan fans on this. Because now we're getting reports that Harbaugh is going to be suspended for a bulk of the next year. 
And I'm thinking to myself, I get that winning cures all, and he's won a lot, and fans are going to defend a guy who's won games, regardless of cheating going on or, or anything else. But this is still a guy who just a year ago was out interviewing for the Minnesota Vikings job right before National Signing Day. He was flying in Rob Walton from Denver to try to get the, the Broncos job. At, at what point do you just say, man, I, I understand that we're winning, but it's Michigan. This is a blue blood football program. We can go attract a lot of great coaches here. If he's going to be suspended for, let's say, 75% of next year also, what's the point? Why are we defending this guy? Do you eventually just wash your hands and say, okay, enough is enough. Go try to get an NFL job. I'm tired of the headaches surrounding the program. Uh, I don't know that there's ever a point that Michigan fans reach that and say that it's enough is enough simply because they beat Ohio State two years in a row. They're winning at a gigantic clip. They got a chance to win a national championship this year. So I don't think they're anywhere close to that. Now lose a couple games here or lose to Ohio State and, you know, don't win a national title. Then all of a sudden, okay, now this offseason, you know, the the investigation continues. Maybe now it's time to move on from uh, Jim Harbaugh facing another possible suspension. Uh, But I'm, I'm just curious if Michigan fans are ever going to get to that point with them. Well, they did after the, quote, cultural icons, the Fab Five, they did say enough of Steve Fisher, but he's not an alum. He's not football. He's basketball. So, you know, um, history tells me that if Harbaugh would lose this game, well, let me ask you a question. Can the loser of this game get in the college football playoff? Or I know they can, but will the loser of this game get in the college football playoff? Let's say it's a double overtime 38-35, 38-35, both teams are equal. One team just happened to win. Can the loser get in? I think the odds are they would get in, honestly. And I, I, We've just seen this so many times. There's still going to be some wackiness that happens uh, with teams that we think might finish undefeated or have one loss and win a conference title. I think we're going to see enough craziness that, yeah, I, I think there's a good chance that the loser of this game, if it's a close game, possibly gets in uh, in the end of it. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, Jim Harbaugh being an alum. Uh, my wife is a huge Nebraska fan. You know, Scott Frost being an alum and a favorite son of Nebraska didn't help him. Why? Because he lost too much. No. You know, his, t- his tenure there was a disaster. It may have gotten him an extra year as opposed to someone else. But look, we know this, Dan. Winning is everything. Winning cures all. Fans especially, they're going to overlook a lot of BS as long as that coach is winning. And I think we're seeing that a lot right now with Jim Harbaugh because it is an impassioned defense of that guy from every single Michigan fan. And it's not one person even just saying, look, I think the guy probably knew. I think the guy they were cheating, but I don't care because they're winning. I'd respect a Michigan fan telling me that. Look, they're getting an advantage. They were smarter about it, right? They were going the extra mile. Yeah, they got caught. Yeah, it's probably going to be bad in the future with the NCAA but I'm riding this wave as long as possible because this is a really good football team. If a Michigan fan would just admit that to me, instead of acting like Connor Stallions was some rogue warrior that did all of this on his own with no one knowing, I'd respect that take from a Michigan fan. At least you're being honest with it and saying, hey, I want to see winning football on the weekend, so I'm here to watch this. I don't care about everything else going on, and we'll let the future take care of the future with what happens with Jim Harbaugh, but right now I just want to watch this team continue to play and try to win a national title. Yeah, I'm the Indiana football fan that says, look, hire Jimbo Fisher, get some NIL money, let him use 
whatever he's got to do so we don't get beat by an interim coach at Michigan State and at least 10,000 people show up for our football games. Who right now, who is your top four in order to make the college football playoff? Top four right now, Georgia's number one. Man, Georgia's hit their stride uh, the last couple of weeks. They beat Ole Miss and Tennessee, who at the time, it's not going to be the case tonight, but the time are two top 20 teams in the college football playoff rankings by a combined 63 points. So they look like they're primed to win a, a third straight national championship. I'm going to go Georgia one, um, Ohio State two. I'm still going to go Florida State in the mix at three. I like Washington at four. Uh, I think the win at Oregon State, it was sloppy. The weather was bad, but that was a big one. Actually, I'm going to go Washington three, Florida State four, swap those two, and go Michigan five. Michigan's schedule, while they've been dominant, has still been incredibly weak so far this year. So I'm going to go Georgia one, Ohio State two, Washington three, Florida State four, Michigan five on the outside looking in. You know, that's why uh, I think if Michigan loses, I don't think they make the college football playoff because they, they've had a horrific schedule. They haven't played. You know, Penn State's the only team, really, uh, and Ohio State. That's it. I mean, I, I, I would not allow, in this era, I would not allow a team that didn't play anybody, nobody, in a pre-conference schedule uh, to make it over somebody that maybe did. I, I just wouldn't. And I think you're right about Florida State. I think if Florida State goes undefeated, it's over. Let me go to the NFL real quick. Um, I look at the New York Jets, and I say to myself, worst offensive game I think I've ever seen. It was back to my day with 85 Bears when they were just dominating people. That's how bad the offense of the Jets looked. Salah was all the rage. Salah was the hero. Uh, does that guy join the list that we talked about earlier of lame duck or possibly out coaches? Not if Aaron Rodgers wants him. I think Aaron Rodgers makes yeah. the decision for that no, organization. Right. If he likes that's Robert right. Sala, because this is just a press pause year now. I mean, we kind of knew that when Aaron Rodgers went down. But if Aaron Rodgers decides he doesn't like Robert Sala with what he's seeing uh, with this team, then Robert Sala's out. If Aaron Rodgers approves of Robert Sala and wants him back, then he's coming back. And I also think that Aaron Rodgers will come back on December 2nd, uh, which is his birthday, his 40th birthday, as reported. I don't think he's going to play. I think he's going to be around practice. And I think it's just going to be a big I told you so to everyone. Hey, look, I'm back, but we made a business decision that we're not really in the playoff hunt now, so I'm not going to play. But, hey, I'm back at practice, and I told you I could get back quicker than anyone thought from this injury. And then he'll be ready to roll next season. The Jets – and the whole Zach Wilson thing with Robert Sala and the defensive Zach Wilson, Dan, that guy, it's not just should he or should he not play right now. We know the answer. He shouldn't play. I watch him and I think, whose spot is he taking on a professional football team that deserves a chance to make a paycheck to play professional football? I don't know that this guy should be in the league as bad as he's looked lately. He does not belong on a professional football field. It's that bad with Zach Wilson. And I don't get the defense throughout the year. And then suddenly, finally, Robert Sala says, yeah, it's time to move on and just try anyone else but Zach Wilson. But man, oh man, has that guy been an outright disaster for the Jets? I have a conspiracy theory real quick. Rodgers decides when Sala is gone that he wants to save Nathaniel Hackett's head coaching career 
So he goes to the Johnson family and says, we need Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach. They acquiesce. And Nathaniel Hackett has a couple good years with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers. That, that's an interesting one. And I'll also throw this in there about Nathaniel Hackett. Um, Dan, I'm not so sure that you or I couldn't look like a good offensive coordinator in the NFL if Aaron Rodgers was our, was our quarterback. Uh, and I, I mean that truly. And I watch this guy on no, hard knocks and the way he sees the game and talks about it and the way he coaches his teammates also through routes and through progressions and what to read on a defense and everything else. I'm thinking you basically just need to be the, 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 uh, the quarterback's assistant and be able to bounce things off of him where he can go to you for an extra set of eyes. Peyton Manning had that with Tom Moore for years. You know, Peyton Manning was calling the offense, but he needed a guy that was a trusted confidant that he could throw things off of that could see it as well. Um, I, I don't know what Nathaniel Hackett is. I mean, I think he knows football, right? But I, I don't know what he is as a coach because it, it's so blinded by the fact that Aaron Rodgers is just so good at his job that I think he could make a lot of coaches look really smart. I agree. I, I, I totally agree. And you're so right about Tom Moore. I mean, that was a very underrated, fantastic union. Just perfect. You know, a guy that didn't need Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning needed him, which sometimes with star quarterbacks doesn't happen, but it worked perfectly. Chad, thanks for the time, my friend. Appreciate you. Always fun talking with you, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Have a great rest of the show. You too, and happy Thanksgiving. Same my to friend, you. Chad Withrow, you got it. Chad Withrow, I just got a text from Matt Canada. Uh, there is a there is a celebration of life tonight. This is how good a guy Matt Canada is. He just sent me a text. He goes, hey, Bobby Smith's celebration of life is today. Bobby Smith was Matt's good friend who passed away last week. Got 4,000 people so far. Need more. Any help is appreciated. Send me. Yeah, no. Sh so I said, hey, I'm so sorry about today. What the? He said, yeah, they got me. They got him. They did. They got him. Anyway. I feel bad for Matt Cannon, but what a good dude, man. He just, it's national news. He just got canned as the offensive coordinator of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And here he is worried about his friend's wife and their celebration of life. It's unbelievable. All right, we come back. Ted Ginn Jr., legend of Ohio. The whole state knows the Ginn family. His dad used to just get kid after kid after kid scholarships. Ted Ginn, legend. Legend. All across the NFL in the state of Ohio, Ted Ginn Jr. joins next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. On a great Ted Ginn Jr., we are waiting for him. Look, this whole thing's going to play out, but I got to tell you, Ohio State, because of what they did in beating Notre Dame, will have a chance to play in the college football playoff if they lose. And, of course, 
I don't think Michigan does. I think Michigan's schedule precludes them from doing that. They really haven't played anybody, and they haven't been very good when they have played somebody. Weren't very good against Maryland. I guess they were pretty good. Look, it feels stupid for me to say they weren't very good. I wrote it in my notes what I was going to talk about here. and You know, you go to Penn State and you get a win. That's pretty good. You know, you win a Big Ten game on the road at Maryland. That's pretty good. I mean, Maryland's coached by a clown. But you know what? They did win the game. And frankly, right now, that's all that matters. But the fascinating thing, and I keep saying this, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, they talk about there's only 64 teams. Well, that's not true. Simply not true. Look, once conference tournaments start, the NCAA tournament basically starts. You're in the MAC conference. It starts a conference tournament. Don't lose. And it's a little bit the same thing in college football, particularly for power five teams. Look, losing your out for a lot of teams. People aren't even talking about Louisville. I mean, damn, why aren't people talking about Louisville? Do you remember when people gave up after a loss to Texas on Alabama? Everybody gave up on Texas. Or excuse me, on Alabama. Alabama can't do this. Alabama can't do that. Nick Saban's retiring. Oh, I don't know. Don't look now. But it's going to be Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game. And oh, by the way, Alabama is 10 and 1. I'm going to say it again 10 and 1. And this kid, Jalen Milrow, is arguably the hottest quarterback in the country. I mean, this dude, not named Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels is just unbelievable. The quarterback at LSU and what he's doing on the field is remarkable. But let's be honest I'm sitting there, I'm watching. And I got to say, Milrow is the most dangerous runner of all the quarterbacks left. The quarterbacks left, McCord is one of them at Ohio State. J.J. McCarthy is one of them. Penix doesn't really run. Nix doesn't really run. Georgia's quarterback, Beck, doesn't really run. I tell you this, this Milrow, he can get it and go, and he's got a burst. Like, I've always said this in basketball, the three best bursts I ever saw LeBron James, you're going to be surprised by the second one, Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that's right. The little white kid from Butler who's been in the NBA, Ben Hurt. It's sad that he's hurt. But Gordon Hayward and Eric Gordon, the kid that played for us at Indiana, they had a burst. And by burst, I mean a special combination of speed, quickness, and power upon takeoff. And it's fascinating. And that's what this Jalen Milrow has. So I want you to clip this part. When you see Jalen Milrow running for touchdowns, three of them, against Georgia, maybe one's the push because I'm guessing at some point because how strong Milrow is that Nick Saban puts the old booty push in. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, this Milrow kid is nice. So basically what you have in the Power Five is a season-long tournament to get into the four. Here's the problem you have in college football, and I want you to think about this, and this will bore the living hell out of my people here in the great state of Indiana, because we're not participants in this uh, college football. Purdue stinks, Indiana stinks, Notre Dame's mediocre for Notre Dame. But the fact of the matter is this. The NCAA needs to go to 12 to 16 teams fast, because what you're seeing is players and teams quitting on their season. That's exactly what's happened. And it's sad. It is sad. Speaking of college football. Since we're here and we're waiting on Ted Ginn, I'm going to give you my five top Heisman Trophy candidates. Number five is Carson Beck, the kid from Georgia, the quarterback from Georgia, out with Stetson Bennett, in with Carson Beck. Carson Beck 
was doing a post-game interview. And he there was a like a defensive end there, a sideline reporter, and Carson Beck. Carson Beck is like 6'6". Carson Beck is the man. Carson Beck is absolutely a monster. And he stands back there, and he throws the damn football. I hate to say this, but he throws it like Tom Brady. Throws a beautiful ball. Not kind of, sort of. The dude throws an absolute gorgeous football, and he's throwing to pretty good players. So let's review Carson Beck's last, uh, let's go four games. Four games ago against Florida, he was 19-28 for 315. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Against number 12, Missouri, in a kind of battle, 21 of 20, or 32, 254, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mississippi, Mississippi, Old Miss, supposed to be a big game. Eh, he dropped 52 on them, going 25, 18 of 25, two touchdowns and one pick. So now you're talking last five games, six touchdowns, one pick. And then against Tennessee at Neyland, where the entire state of Tennessee, including every guy that's ever even put on an outkick shirt, an outkick bowling shirt, a don't at me shirt, a hot mic shirt, ever worked at outkick, thought about outkick, had the hots for me or had the hots for Charlie, all of you, all of you people, guess what? It didn't happen for you in Tennessee. 38 to 10. No picks, three touchdowns, 300 yards. So I don't know about you, but last five games, that's nine touchdowns, one interception, 70% passer, and all they've done is win by 1,000. You know, my guy Chad just said Georgia is hitting its stride. Well, you want to know why Georgia's hitting its stride? There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That quarterback is a bad mother. I don't care what Marvin Harrison Jr. has done to this point. I honestly don't care. It does not matter. He's been a dominant wide receiver. But he's not going to win the Heisman unless he drops a 12-catch, 250-yard, three-touchdown afternoon (laughs) against Michigan. Now, you do that in the big house, and guess what? Your toes might be tapping, particularly if others falter a little bit. If you falter a little bit, I got to tell you – Marvin Harrison may jump you. But the fact of the matter is this. Marvin Harrison, as a wide receiver, hasn't had that moment. His team is undefeated, so it's kind of ridiculous. But you know what? The guy's been great, but he hasn't had that moment. His moment comes Saturday at noon in the big house. If he has a big one, in fact, I'd do this. I'd make him a punt returner. I'd make him a kick returner. I'd give him the ball a thousand times and say, look, We don't have a game for a long time. We're going to put you in a hyperbaric chamber. We're going to put you in a hot tub. We're going to build a hot tub in your house. I don't care. And we'll get you ready for the bowl. But he's not winning the Heisman. He may be the best football player. He may be the guy teams want to pick number one because unlike most of the idiot wide receivers in the NFL, he seems like a good dude that just wants to play some ball. Number three on my list is Bo Nix. He ain't winning it either. But he's got a shot. I'll tell you why. Again, Let's go last five games for Bo Nix. You ready? Now, Washington State, Utah, California, Southern Cal at Arizona State. The man has gone 18 touchdowns last five with one interception. 
18 to 1 down the stretch. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty damn good. He's completed over 70% of his, actually over 75% of his passes. That's pretty good. They've won by scoring 49, 36, 63, 35, and 38 points. I don't know. He even punted once for 37 yards. He's got no rushing stats. He could win the eyes, but all he's got to do is keep balling, uh, not only this week, but certainly in the Pac-12 championship game. Number two, Michael Penix. Look, I'm sorry, but Michael Penix has been good. He's been good. Hasn't been great. Now, the weather this past weekend, maybe it hurt him. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. Hasn't been great. Been good. And I kind of sort of want him to win the Heisman because I like him. Hey, Dockage, why are you going through the last five games? Because this is what I feel are the most important. I get it. You win the Heisman early in the year, or at least you put yourself in position to be talked about. But the last five games, I got to tell you, man, it's when the stuff matters. It's when the stuff is hitting the fan. It's when it says, let's go. So the man over his last five games, he's thrown a few interceptions. He has. Look, unlike these others, he's 10 to 4. But he's ran the football okay. Eh, not really. He had 23 yards. His numbers haven't been great lately. Uh, lately, I mean against Oregon State. 162, but before that against Utah, 330, 256 in a route of Southern Cal. Uh, They beat the crap out of Stanford. He threw for 370 and 275 in a weird win against Arizona State. I don't know whether I got this right. I'm just laying the land for you. Bo Nix is really, really, really a better player right now, but the truth of the matter is uh, Michael Penix, I think, has been better all year. And, in fact, they won. Jaden Daniels has just been stupid. I think we're waiting. Teddy Ginn, I think, is in uh, the YouTube chat. We're just waiting to get him on here. But uh, Jaden Daniels has just been stupid. I mean, Jaden Daniels is must-see TV. Jaden Daniels, you can say whatever you'd like about his coach. I don't care. Jaden Daniels is at LSU. That means Brian Kelly's there, which means some of you are pissed off because you don't like Brian Kelly. I don't care whether you like Brian Kelly. I don't whether you care if you don't like Brian Kelly, but let me throw some numbers at you. You ready? My God. So Jaden Daniels has just decided that he's going to lose his mind. He went for 413 with 70 yards rushing, six touchdowns. Now, I know it was against Georgia State. Against Florida, 373 yards, 52 yards rushing. 46 yards rushing, 219 in a loss to Alabama. 279, 325, and about 300, 200 yards rushing. It's insane what this guy has done. It is completely, totally nuts how this guy has upped the level of his game. I actually gave the rushing yards wrong. Jaden Daniels went for 234 yards rushing, 372 yards against Florida. Passing. You hear me? 234, 372. Against Georgia State, 413, 96 yards rushing. Against Alabama, all he did was throw for 220 yards, 163 yards rushing. Against number 12 at the time, Mizzou, 130 yards rushing, 260 pounds. I don't know what to tell you. That guy's numbers are stupid. 
That guy's numbers are insane. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we got Ted Ginn Jr. on? Yes, sir. Hey, there he is. What do you say, Ted Ginn Jr.? How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I got a great story about you. Maybe Urban told you this. So after Florida beat you guys in the national championship game, Urban calls me, and I go, hey, man, do you think you'd win that big? He goes, you know what? I went on the field, and I looked at Ohio State's their big lineman, and I said, ah, this ain't SEC. These guys are slow. We kicked the ball off. Ted Ginn Jr. runs the kickoff back, beats my entire freaking defense, my entire freaking team, and he said, and I'm quoting here, about shit myself because I realized how wrong I was about the speed of Ohio State because Ted Ginn Jr. just blew us away. And then you got hurt. Did you get hurt on the, on the kickoff return? No, I didn't get hurt on the kickoff return. I really think I got hurt on the celebration. Is that right? Take me through that. Yeah. What happened? Well, you really just said it. Uh, I got the open kickoff. Uh, I kind of told my team that, you know, uh, if I get this open kickoff, we got a chance to go to the house. Uh, it actually happened. Um, and just doing my regular routine, running through the end zone, about to hand the ball to the ref, and here come the celebration. Dudes just jumped on you, and you're not it's, that big. Not at all. Not at all. Man. But, you know, uh, I would have loved to see the ending of that game. You know, uh, I would love to play in that game. But, um, you know, things happen. I got the joy that I wanted. I showed my talent the way I was supposed to. And uh, I hate that we lost. But it was a great year, had great guys, and I enjoyed every the, the whole run. Hey, let me ask you. Urban said yesterday that um, Ohio State-Michigan isn't a game day thing, isn't a game week thing, isn't a month thing. It's a lifestyle. You grew up in Ohio. Uh, your dad famously would take kids around to schools, got a zillion kids scholarships. So you understand this being from – the Cleveland area, what what does the game main, mean to players? I know what it means to coaches, but what does it mean to players? Um, I mean, it, it's something like, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's just something that you grow up and you pick sides kind of early in life. You know, uh, uh, I know people from Cleveland that's Michigan fans. I know people from Cleveland that's, that's Buckeye fans. So when you get your opportunity to go out and you get an opportunity to play in that game, um, you just want to shine for the people who can never, ever play in that game that really have a real rival with, against that team, you know. Uh, so you just go out and you play for everybody, not only yourself. You play for the university. You play for your family. You play for the rivalry. And then you play for yourself and your, and your teammates. And you never experience what it really is until that first kickoff or that first play that you really get in that game and see how, like, it's just not the same type of atmosphere. Everybody's kind of, like, out to get you. Everybody's kind of, like, out to hit you. Um, and don't be a guy. When I say a guy is a, a standout player because all eyes is on you. And like you say, it's, it's a rival that, 
we want to. Did I get out of there? No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, you know, it's a rival that that you you just want to overcome it. You never want to lose it. And you know, it's it's like it's hard to really, you know, explain it all without you being able just to touch it, if that makes sense. No, hell yeah. I mean, eight catches, 104 yards receiving, touchdown in 2006. Um, what was – do you think this game, because of all that's going on with Harbaugh, because of now, you know, social media, back and forth, you think this is the most hyped of these games? Well, I think it's it, – we are we are the best rival in football, just to just to make that clear, you know. Um, and when you're the big rival in football, and we stand out like we do in the history that we have, it's big no matter if you publicize it or not. You know, uh, you we got a countdown that start right when it finish, like, like you say, it's a lifestyle and it's a. It's an overcoming type thing that you just, you got to have it if you go to the Ohio State University. And it it, it happens in football, basketball, uh, track. Like whenever you get a chance to see them guys, you want to be number one. What's your favorite memory of you playing in the game? Um, I got a lot of them. You know, uh, <laughs> I got a, I got a lot of them. Uh, just, um, I mean, my first time stepping out there as a as a freshman, and having the first punt return that I split and I I got tackled on, that should have been to the house, and then I come back and get the <laughs> one that me and. Uh, Tatonio couldn't um, decide who was going to get it. And that was just a great play, and everybody just stayed active. And by then, we believed in each other so much back there that whoever got it, we was going to do what we were supposed to do. And, you know, Tatonio was unselfish and knew that I had a, a little bit a better edge back there at that time. So he gave me the opportunity, stepped up and blocked, and us being who we was back there, we didn't really have to talk that much. So it wasn't a me, me, you, or you, you, you. I seen him step up. It's mine, and I, you know, I made history with it, and I'm just happy. But uh, that's one play. Uh, the drive in 2005 up there in Ann Arbor, um, Gonzo make them, them three big catches. Pittman put it in at the end of the game. Uh, that's a great memory. Like, we battled back and forth. I mean, I one thing I can really say to them teams that I played, you know, to me, that's they are some of the best teams to ever come through Michigan. You know, and they gave us a run every time we stepped out there. So, our games was never like, just like a pushover. So the rival always going to be real to me because it was always real in them churches.
You know, coaching, and you know this, I mean, you know, you coach, your dad's longtime coach, you understand the pressure of coaches. You think Brian Day is unfairly criticized, or is he fairly criticized because they got beat by Michigan, no matter that he's won like 90% of his games, and if he goes 0-3, a lot of people are going to have a problem. You think that's unfair, or is that just part of it? I mean, that's part of it. I mean, people, people want that game. That game is stamped. I mean, it's it, it's hard. You know, it's hard for me to really say, like, uh, you know, we're not worried about it or it's okay because we can still try to move on. Like, no, that's the destiny of everybody's last journey as a player, as a coach, you know, at the end of the year. Like, we want Thanksgiving to be right. You know what I'm saying? That's our Thanksgiving. <laughs> You get what I'm saying? And once once you realize what you're playing for, it ain't about yourself. You just got to be the person to go do it. But you're playing for, for a whole country. Like we we in Arizona, we in Texas, we in California, we in Florida. Like you ain't just playing for Ohio, you're playing for a whole nation that really lines up and never might not never ever touch one of them stadiums in their life, but you, they number one team and you have to hold up to that, to that rivalry. That's why, that's why you're a Buckeye fan. And you learn that as a young kid. I learned that as a kid. Like I set up with one of my friends. That's still my friends to this day. That's still a Michigan fan, but I changed him because I went to Ohio State. But we used to sit up in this front TV, the big screen, back in the day with the big butt, you know? And we used to go back and forth. You know what I'm saying? And you'll really be mad about that for a week or two. Like, man, I can't believe Oak State ain't win. You know what I'm saying? So this is like a thing that's just, just in you. I agree with you. It's the best rivalry. It's probably the best rivalry in sports. A lot of, you know, I don't know what's a better college sports rivalry than Ohio State. Jim Trestle, what Jim Trestle mean to you? Oh, Jim Trestle's like a father. That was that was another father figure with him, him and my dad being best friends. And I say this all the time. The best thing about what happened with me was I left one household and walked into the same household. Even though it was Glenville High School. It, when I went to Ohio State, that felt like Glenville High School. And sometimes when you go to different places, a lot of coaches around here don't don't treat you the same once you touch on campus. And that was one thing that Chester had with all his players was he understood all his players and tried to make it the best form, but under his tutelage. You get what I'm saying? Under his ruling. and. Yep. He always got the best out of everybody because he knew you. He just didn't know you as a football player. He knew you as a as a player. He could tell you things before you could tell yourself. And that's one thing about being a player's coach. He wasn't a coach's coach. He was a player's coach where he listened to us as we listened to him. And that's why we was able to be great. Last thing, give me a predict. You got a prediction for the game? Yeah, I mean, 
Mine's going to always be 24-17. We got a number one rule not to – you can't score 17 points. But it's not going to probably be that. Some, I mean, long as my long as my guy controls the game when our defense play outstanding and stop the run, because he got to stop the run. I played with Jim Harbaugh, 49ers. Went to a Super Bowl with him. He's going to run a rock. He's going to run a rock. We watched him last week. He ended the game with, what, eight straight runs, nine straight runs. So we got to stop the rock. But that's what type of game it always been. We just got off in our years by spreading them out. Or we've seen the one play that we got that's famous right now is the fake dive. Um, Kelsey, the Kelsey play. <laughs> but um, that's just what it is. It's a trenches game. So we got to be able to run the ball and we got to be able to stop it. And Marvin Harrison going to do what he do. I don't think nobody over there could check him. So we got to figure out how to get him the ball, but we got to figure out how to get others the ball. And you're just in a game where one guy is not going to beat you. And Hey, I want to – go ahead. I, 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 I want to talk to you about playing for Harbaugh. What, what did you like? What did you dislike? And do you still have a relationship with Jim Harbaugh? Um, I ain't going to say that's a tough question because it's not. But uh, I just really say playing for hardball is awesome. You get what I'm saying? Like, he was another guy that looked at his room and took his room for what it was and let his room be what it was. And being in the NFL, that's kind of like how you how you needed it. So our first two years that we, you know, did the run, he was a, a a player's coach. And that's the only thing I can really say. Like he played attention to what was going on and how we jailed and how we react, how we practice, all the little things that you're supposed to do as a pro coach when you got a superstar team like we had at the time. I mean – when you go back and you look at that team that he had in the NFL with just Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, Frank, Frank Gore, Vernon Davis, Michael Crabtree, Dante Whitner, Carlos Rogers. I mean, you just keep naming the guys on and on. You know what I'm saying? You have so many superstar guys that all you had to do is let them go play and control us in a way off the field that we didn't get in trouble, but we remain who we were. And I believe that year we have no, we had no incidents in in a situation like, and that was our number one thing was to be number one with no incidents, no trouble. So he just showed us a lot of leadership within ourselves, and it's probably like that over there in that locker room right now. If the right guys that is there and they know how to lead, it's going to be up to them, and then he's going to lead from how they lead in the situation. So he's a great guy to play under, but it's just, you know, the things that comes with him going to always stick with him. And, you know, every spot that he go, he brings trouble in some type of way. So. 
you know, I mean, you just look at the timeline. And he only spent a certain amount of stints with a certain amount of people. And it's just history. So this is just right up the alley of where mess come. But as far as all that, he's a great coach. And he's going to let the best player have, play in some type of way. You still have a relationship with him? You still have Not a relationship with him? I, mean, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say like it's a bad thing or anything like that, but we just went all our separate ways in our careers. Yeah. You know, if I see him, I'm a hug and we got history together. That's my guy. You know what I'm saying? But just as far as like a day to day conversation, like no, or, you know, I would love to. You know what I'm saying? I don't have no real hate with the guy. You know what I'm saying? Even though he wear blue and yellow now, and he got an M on his chest, but we still 49ers at heart. We did great things together. Hey. Yeah, you did. Hey, Teddy, thanks, man. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us. That was great stuff. Thank you. No doubt, no doubt. It's the great Ted Ginn Jr. Ted's dad, terrific high school coach. I mean, just a mentor and all around the state of Ohio. And Ted... Great player, not a good player. Ted Ginn Jr., absolute great player, whether it was as a wide receiver, slot receiver, punt receiver, you name it, he did it. And the thing that I love about this game coming up, like, you know, the great thing, Indiana-Purdue, the rivalry that I played in, you know, Indiana's not any good right now in basketball. Purdue's really good. and But, but when you go to the game and Indiana had a chance to beat them last year in basketball, we beat them a couple times. You could feel the emotion. I was at one of them and you could feel the emotion, but I don't think there's anything like Ohio state and Michigan. I honestly don't. I don't think there's anything like it. I think that and particularly this year, in fact, I was thinking, you know what, man, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go see the game. But then I thought, man, those tickets, I don't care if it's after the first quarter, they're going to be nuts, but that's all right. Fun times. See, Sunday noon or Saturday noon, my fat ass has appointment TV. All right, we're going to come back. I'm going to give you my top five college basketball teams. One of them, maybe two of them, three of them. Three of them played last night. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Man, we've had a great day today. What a fun day. I can't thank all of you on the YouTube chat for being here. We had record numbers early in the show. And, well, we just continue to growing this bad boy. College basketball season is here. Look, Gritty, I gave you one yesterday. A lot of people don't understand the ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows of gambling. And we're currently on a heater. Yesterday, we gave you a parlay. It wasn't a sexy parlay. It was two teams to win a game. And I figure if I'm going to be home watching Indiana play against Louisville, the worst coach team I have seen in college basketball, and I'm going to watch Purdue play Gonzaga, I'm just going to take a money line parlay on both. I didn't get plus money on it. I got minus 106. 
So I bet $318 to win $318 or $300. And I got to tell you, it hit. So my toes, they were a temp and we're on fire. I hope, Gritty, you join me. I'll have another one for you today that I'm not totally in love with. And a friend of mine, the sack attack, told me that I should start fading all of my life decisions. And I might want to fade this one. But before we get into that, ladies and gentlemen, let's get in to my top five college basketball teams. You know, one of the things that's interesting in college basketball is how little top five teams actually matter. But I'm going to start on number five. I don't know which way you guys got this started, but number five is UConn. In fact, I might have UConn uh, at number one. I don't know. I watch UConn just dismantle Indiana. And when I say dismantle, it's not like you're going to come out with basically a new team like they did at UConn and come out and jump up 20 to two. It's going to be a battle for a while. And then you get comfortable in Madison square garden, which UConn is very comfortable and they beat Indiana by 20. And then they took on a Texas team that I thought was dangerous. Texas had a real scare. They didn't come to play against Louisville, got bailed out on a jump shot late in the game, actually a buzzer beater and moved on to play UConn. And again, same thing. UConn got up a little bit game, went a bit back and forth And then UConn just said, screw this. I got to tell you, man, Danny Hurley's team is a force. I heard Jay Will say yesterday on the broadcast that he thought UConn could get back to the national championship game. And I got to tell you, I agree. I don't kind of agree. I absolutely agree. I think UConn is that good. They seem to be together. Danny Hurley rides roughshod on them, Danny Hurley style, or at least Bob Knight style. Uh, Hurley's dad was tougher than any coach I'd ever been around, including Knight. But Danny's the same way, and his players don't leave. His players love it. Whatever he's doing is working, and I'm not going to be surprised if they don't go for a national championship. Last night, I wanted to stay up. I was dying to stay up. I just couldn't stay up. Basically, a three late got Marquette the win over UCLA in Maui. UCLA is a badass team. UCLA is going to be good. They are very tough, even though they lost a lot of players, but Marquette, look, Shaka Smart seems comfortable. Remember Shaka took VCU and Havoc to the NCAA Final Four? He was all the rage. He took a job in Texas that really didn't fit him. It just didn't. I'm sorry. It didn't fit him. And dealing with more elite kind of entitled type players is not Shaka's thing. I've known Shaka for a long time, and Shaka is one of those guys that can relate to really, really, really good players that have a passion and a drive. And sometimes in the world of college basketball, that passion and that drive gets thwarted by money, agents, and others. They listen to people not named Shaka while they're playing for Shaka's team, and that's what happened at Texas. He's back home. He's back home. He's at Marquette. He got a win. But reason I have them in is they went to Illinois in a tough, tough, tough assembly hall environment or whatever they call it, Farm Bureau or State Farm Insurance environment and beat Illinois at Illinois. It was pretty impressive. Now today, 1030 p.m., they've got the Jayhawks. It's number one versus number four in Maui. We shall see what we shall see. Number three is Arizona. Look, I watched Arizona beat Duke at Duke. Now, beating Duke at Duke is not just the reason I'm putting these guys at number three. It's their look. It's how they did it. They looked dominant. They didn't look a little dominant. They looked 
big dominant, like stupid big dominant. They look like the kind of team that could whoop your backside. And they got Michigan State coming up. Michigan State is struggling, but they're getting better. Michigan State 21 in the country. Don't buy any of that. Don't care about any of that. Michigan State's going to be just fine. Tom Izzo will have them rolling. But Arizona looked bigger. They looked stronger. They looked quicker. They looked tougher than what Duke looked. And Duke's got a really nice team. But really, the eight-point win, it seemed like it really wasn't in doubt the entire game. And when you go into Cameron against a team that isn't playing a bunch of freshmen, although there's a couple playing for Duke, and you win, and you kind of win as easy as you can pretty much figure you're going to win at Duke, that's good enough by me. The debate for number one will be settled tonight. I'm just telling you, if Purdue beats Tennessee and Kansas beats Marquette, I wouldn't change it, but right now, number two is Kansas. I think Kansas is dynamite. What Kansas did uh, in coming back and the way they played against a hot Kentucky team was really good. Is Kentucky really good? No. But on that particular night, they were throwing in everything against the Jayhawks in Chicago, and the Jayhawks did what really good teams do. They hung around, hung around, and then exerted their dominance in winning the game. I've got them number two. You know, they, you could put them number one, and I wouldn't have any problem. Hunter Dickinson is probably, along with Zach Eady, the two best by far post guys. I was going to say he's probably the best, but Eady's right there, too. They're both incredibly difficult to guard. They both play really hard. They both play pretty smart. And, frankly, they're both the focal point. It's old school with both. Speaking of Eady, number one team in the country was Purdue. Yesterday I'm watching Purdue, and they come out in the first half. And they looked slow. They looked ankle deep in floor. They looked slow on slow. It looked like a backcourt of Link Darner and Matt Painter playing out there. This was slow. But then the second half came, and they looked fast. Now, I know our friends are all saying, well, we're more athletic. I don't know if you're more athletic than you've been. You seem to always have been pretty athletic. I don't know. Just because you got a few new faces, one kid that transferred from Southern Illinois, I don't know that you're that quick. I don't know that you're that fast. What I do know is you're still Purdue. You play really hard. You play really tough. You got a bunch of older guys. People don't talk about Gillis and Morton, but they're older guys. Braden Smith's basically come in there and started every single game. Edie's 106 years old. This freshman kid, Colvin, son of Roosevelt Colvin, a Purdue football legend, Super Bowl champ is going to be a nice player. Right now, he looks a little Bambi-ish. Ren Kaufman needs to take a shower. It's a weird deal. Dude doesn't shower. At least I've been told he doesn't shower. How do you not shower? I mean, what are you, raised by wolves? Women, shower, cut the armpit hair. Dudes, shower. You don't need infections from not showering. Let's be smarter than that, shall we? But those are my top five. Indiana got a win yesterday, and I'm going to credit Mike Woodson. I think Mike Woodson has pretty much been asleep during his entire tenure at Indiana basketball. He's recruited some guys that have really good reputations, but frankly seem to play entitled, disinterested. But yesterday, Woodson came off the bench. Now, I know he didn't play, but he came off the bench and decided to coach. He decided to actually read the game. And by reading the game, he realized that Louisville was torching his man-to-man. So he went to a little 2-3 zone. This isn't earth-shattering, but he went to it. 
probably would not have stayed in it had Michigan, or excuse me, had uh, Louisville scored a few baskets. But guess what? Louisville didn't. After the game, the Louisville coach, Kenny Payne, said, oh, Woodson tricked me. Never admit that someone tricked you. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Don't act like it. Don't say they tricked them. Well, Louisville helped them by taking their best player, Tyler Johnson, out of the game. It was an absolute offensive nightmare. One team standing on one end, the other team standing and dribbling on the other end. It was awful, except when Tyler Johnson got going. And then, for some reason, don't know why, Kenny Payne took him out. They got stagnant. This kid, Rabot, came in. They started setting the ball screen. Kenny Payne said, I'm going to switch. Little guy who was guarding the ball to big guy, Rabot, Rabu, whatever the hell his name is, who went down on the block against a smaller guy. Indiana was smart enough to spread it, throw it inside, and the kid, the sophomore, Rabot, got buckets. Good for him. Renew, whatever the hell his name is. Now, Indiana can't make shots. So I don't understand why Louisville didn't say, all right, if we're going to switch this, then we're going to help from the worst shooter on the floor, which is basically take your pick. They didn't do it. So Indiana got to win. Yay, Ra, go fight. Who, who, Hoosiers. And I'm wearing my Indiana shirt. People think I hate Indiana basketball. I don't hate Indiana basketball. I just don't respect them yet. You got to earn this guy's respect. All right. See, when you're the number one pick, when you're the number one pick, you're supposed to be good. You're supposed to change the game. Kate Cunningham was the number one pick. Kate Cunningham came out of Oklahoma State. The coach at Oklahoma State, Mike Boynton, is a really good guy. But he did what a lot of guys did. He hired Cade Cunningham's brother, which made him even more entitled. Well, guess what? The the Pistons lost. The Pistons lost for the 11th straight time. Now, let me say that again. When you get the number one pick in the draft, you're not supposed to lose 11 straight times in the dude's second year. Hey, look, we got to be realistic about the situation. Okay great 18-year-old philosopher, what's the situation? It's hard to just be like, we're good, we're good. We know what, I, know what I'm saying because we're bad. We have to address that. Okay, let's address that. Why are you bad? All right, we have to address what we're not good at. Okay, what are you not good at? Not only our words, but in the huddles, on the court. Yes, what are you not good at? Well, I'll tell you one thing you're not good at. You're apparently not good at drafting players. You got this kid, Jay Nivey. He of his mommy and all right. Well, Jay Nivey, when he played at Purdue, I don't know if you noticed, but Jay Nivey, since he's left Purdue, hasn't been missed. That's weird. Jay Nivey was very selfish, very above being at Purdue, and frankly, Uh, He's back from injury. He's putting up double-digit figures. But what he is in the NBA is good enough to get you fired. It's a cute story. Mommy's the the coach at Notre Dame, and Jaden and Mommy love each other. Okay, wonderful. Yay, Ra. Go fight, win. But the truth of the matter is, Jaden Ivey, although Purdue had a good year with him, basically dogged it through his time at Purdue, second half of the season, would throw the ball to the bench, had, an, had a 
basic demeanor of, I don't give a crap, I'm bigger than this, and that's never good. That's never good. Hey, a lot of people got their panties in a bunch. I've never said that before, but I've always wanted to. I wrote it here in my notes. Uh, apparently, Micah Parsons' milestone moment was nearly upended over a pregame energy drink. Micah Parsons, I'm tired of. Now nah, I'm tired of. But I'm going to talk about him. He had a C4 moment. Everyone was like, hey, let's take a shot of this C4. And it was something I'd never done before. As soon as I put it in, I said, man, this stuff is strong. All right? I got some water to help put it down. By the fifth play, I felt like my heart was about to jump out of my chest. I felt like I was about to explode. Eventually, I just started throwing up. It was all coming out. I'm never doing that again. I'm sticking to my routine. He became the first player in franchise history to have 10 sacks. That's right, 10 sacks in each of its his first four seasons. Now, let me tell you what C4 is. C4, or composition C4, is what? What? No, 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 no. There's an explosive C4, and then there's other C4s. I don't know what the hell this is, but I can't even look it up. Look, it's C4. Let's see. Low prices for C4 on Amazon. It is a workout powder powder with 150 milligrams of caffeine. Yeah. See, I don't need it. Two things I don't need. More caffeine and Viagra. Eastern European, yo. I wake up, the wind blows, and I'm chasing. That's right. I'm chasing Lee around the house, and something arrives in the room before me. But there you go. They got Skittle flavor C4, and they got C4. Look, I am all for taking whatever, as long as it's legal. I am. I'm also for taking stuff that isn't illegal. I'll tell anybody that asks, you drop a Percocet in my mouth, I am a nice guy. I, my entire personality changes. It does. Let's go back. I want to read you what Jim Harbaugh did before we go to Wokadope. I tried to remember everything Jim Harbaugh did. I did. Here's what I came up with. Signing with the Stars, which was illegal, on the signing date. Satellite camps, which pushed the rules. Spring practice at IMG, pushed the rules. Spring trips overseas, which pushed the rules, and yet couldn't beat Urban Meyer. There was a dirtbag coach named Chris Partridge at Paramus Catholic in New Jersey. Well, he was selling players, along with himself, to football coaches all across the country. Harbaugh bit. He hired him. Got your Brill Peppers. Got Rashawn Gary. The high school coach, Chris Partridge, became, well, a guy. Linebackers coach after a stint with Lane Kiffin. Guess who was the coach that asked players to lie about the sign-stealing investigation? Guess who the coach was that tried to destroy evidence? Guess who the coach was that just got fired? That's right, Chris Partridge. Why? Well, because scumbag always going to scumbag. He hired a high school coach and a millionaire named Biff Pogge. He hired him to get recruits and bankroll teams overseas. I don't think this is illegal, but the sleepover at recruits' house is just weird. 
I remember when Gene Cady came to my house one night with Clarence Glover and an assistant named Jay Williams. All right. I got to tell you, I love talking to him because everybody loves being recruited. I don't care what it is. But if he was going to sleep over, I wasn't having it. I I don't like talking to adults when I'm a kid. In fact, now I don't like talking to adults really ever. I just like sitting in my own space. Still couldn't beat Urban. NCAA violation, cheated during COVID. NCAA violation, too many coaches on the field. NCAA violation, illegally taped workouts. Lied to the NCAA, which resulted in a three-game suspension. Had a stud named Maisie Smith, who had a gun charge. He hit it, allowed the kid to play. Had a staff member fired for cyber crimes. Matt Rice, Weiss, the, NCAA, or the FBI, worse than the NCAA, is still in there. This is awful. Had a staff member arrested to catch a predator style for soliciting with vodka in his gear a 13-year-old girl. He hired Shemi Schembechler. Shemi Schembechler proved himself to be, at least online, somewhat racist. Sign-stealing scandal. Two staff have been fired so far, and Harbaugh has been suspended three games. Michigan joined the fray by getting rid of, for three games, the cheating Harbaugh and replacing him with who? Sharon Moore, who did what? got suspended for a game for cheating. You can't make this stuff up. All the while going one and six in bowl games, two and five versus Ohio State. And of course, we all know he misled Michigan officials time after time and interviewed for jobs. Good for Jim Harbaugh. You are a true Michigan man. Woke adult me, baby. Woke adult me, please. What do we have? Oh, man. Three years ago today, gas was $2 a gallon. Eggs were a buck a gallon. Mortgage rates were $3. Inflation less than 1%. Full employment and world peace. What happened? Earlier in the show, I told you about African Americans in Wisconsin, Nevada, Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, and Pennsylvania going from 8% support of Trump to 22%. Look, brothers and sisters, take a read. How can you not go to 90%? I understand you're not going to get 100. But damn, should be 100% of the vote no matter what. Like, there should be a vote against Biden on the ballot, and that thing should win. Here's three years ago. You want to know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Somehow, some way, you got to be careful here, Joe Biden got elected. That's what happened three years ago. Next, that's pretty funny. It was 549.8. It's now on rollback pricing 733. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the perfect example of Biden economics. Bidenomics, right there. It used to be 549. Big Head Joe, Lying Joe, Sniffing Joe, Pervy Joe, Pedo Joe. Well, in his economic world, it is rollback for only 733. It's exactly what you should think about the next time uh, the lesbian diversity hire woman that stands up in front of the world and lies every day tries to tell us about Biden economics. There you go. It's right there. Perfect. Don't do what's actual. Do what we say the Joe Biden way. And I rhymed it for you. Next. That's really funny, and this sucks. I had somebody actually, somebody with a bazillion Twitter followers, tell me the borders aren't open. Look, I always use this analogy. 
It's like the guy that's caught in bed with another woman by his wife. She's standing over the bed looking at him and the woman. And the guy goes, wait, I'm not doing nothing. Are you going to believe me? Or are you going to believe what your eyes are telling you? Well, that's what they're doing with the border. Are you going to believe them? When that clown diversity hire, transgender, lesbian, whatever the hell she is, Karen Jean, whatever, I don't even know her name, gets up and lies to us every day. Or are you going to believe what we see? And if you haven't seen the border, it's very, very simple. Just Google the border and you'll see a bazillion dudes, war-aged men coming into our country. That's what you'll see. Without documentation, without restrictions. I don't know what to tell you. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. But what I do know what to tell you is these guys got to go. Hey, look, I get it. Some of you will say, Dockage, you don't know what you're talking about. Tell me where the lies are. That's all I got to say. Dockage, you're Jockage. Yes, I'm Jockage. Okay, yes, I'm all that. Yes. Stick to sports. No, I get it. But just tell me where the lies are. By the way, Biden, I'm not suicidal. Hillary, I'm not suicidal. I got a big day planned. I think I'm headed to Bloomington. Yeah, that's right. I'm taking a U-Haul. I'm selling a table that we have. I think I'm headed to Bloomington, so I think there's going to be a stop at Zagreb's for a nice steak with my uh, stepdaughter and my wife. So there you go. I also got a bet for you, and it starts in about three minutes. Write this down. I would fade this because these bets have not gone well. But the way this game should go, frankly, is this. Ready? Okay. Uh, Take Long Beach State. Long Beach State, take a minus four. Where is it here? How come it's not up here now? It was up here earlier. Maybe the game has started. I don't know. But Long Beach State, minus four against uh, Iona. My ex-wife and my daughter told me that Iona is so freaking awful, it's unbelievable. I think the game starts at 11. I think. I'll look. That's what I'm being told, and that's what I bet. I bet Long Beach minus four and a half. It says here the game starts at 11. Now it says the event is not found. I don't know what that means. Did they take it off the board? I don't know but I bet a lot of money on it. Don't know what to tell you. All right. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Indiana doesn't play. Purdue doesn't play. Oh, Purdue does play. Should be a good one tonight against Tennessee. They've had great battles. Fantastic. See you tomorrow.